mirror before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Don't Go in the Woods, aka Don't Go in the Woods Alone, released November 20th, 1981. It was written by Garth Eliasson, based on his own original story, directed by James Bryan, and released by Seymour Board and Associates. Not to be confused with Joseph Brenner Associates, who just released Fantasies. Mm -hmm. Different or, law firm. Or Seymour Buzz. Associates. <laughs> Director James Bryan had just finished his previous film, Boogie Vision, and made plans for a horror film set in the Rocky Mountains, which was originally entitled Sierra. The film stock used for the production was purchased for $400 because the lab was planning on throwing it out before it expired. Uh, they should have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I would have paid them $400 to throw it out. He raised $150,000 to shoot in 10 days in Utah in the summer of 1980, mostly outdoors during the day to save money on lighting kits. The film's excessive bloody gore and lack of appreciable artistic value made it the first official video nasty on the list. We've discussed earlier films that made the eventual list, but this was the first actual movie to get included in the UK government ban on excessively violent films. The film has been released in Australia as The Forest 2, despite having no relation to horror film The Forest, which wasn't even released until a year after this film. We open in the titular woods. A small waterfall spills down a hillside, and we see some clothing and a camera in the water below. I guess this is a flash forward, unless this is, a, I guess this is a different camera than we see later. So this is, yeah. these are from some other unseen victim earlier. Well, yeah, they'll make reference to lots of missing persons reporting. Yeah. A woman runs screaming through the stream, and we see a POV of her pursuer tackle her to the ground and blood starts mixing into the water. We cut to a group of hikers following a trail. A bird watcher creeps along the stream with binoculars, peeking at birds until something jumps up and slices at his face and it's suddenly gushing with blood. He screams and we cut away, but it almost looks like someone just threw ketchup at him. Yeah, I thought... Like, it's like a blob hits him in the yeah, face. Yeah, like did someone th slap him with a piece of meat is my yeah. note. <laughs> It's very weird. But then it cuts to a canyon. I was like, is the implication that he fell? Who knows? Right, because they, they, they cut so close for, for a good half of this movie to whatever is causing these deaths. Yeah. It's very unusual. And it's not necessary because it's not interesting when, when they finally reveal it. When they finally reveal it. it. <laughs> <laughs> the scary score here just sounds like someone tiptoeing over a pile of accordions. <laughs> So it didn't it didn't occur to me until much later that the weird sounds that we're supposed to be hearing are howls. Is that what they are? Uh. They 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 didn't the the when the music goes woo. Yeah. Those are supposed to be wolves howling in the middle of the day. Or well and well it's usually at night, but yeah, like I that's what they're supposed to be hearing because when they say, "Oh, I want to get a, when one guy goes, I want to get a photo of the train." It's just like a cheap train whistle and i'm all they couldn't they didn't even get the audio of a train they couldn't find a train they couldn't find a train and they couldn't get wolf audio 
So they weird. had to just have the musical score sound like Wolf Hollow, <sighs> so which dumb. it does not. Right. We see the hikers again. Peter, Ingrid, Craig, and Joni. Or Joanne, as she's credited. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand like... that. They just didn't care when they wrote it down. Peter is sitting on the ground, and Craig is lecturing him on the rules of the woods, and the girls repeat them. First, don't panic. Second, go up, not down. What's the third? Actually, the most important of all. Stay at home and forget it. Never, never go in the woods alone. Well, that's not a useful rule right here, because we're all four here now. They climb to the nearest ridge before making camp, and we cut to a couple tourists, Dale and Ruth. Dale is rushing ahead of her to take pictures, and she screams after him. Dale! Dale, wait for me! I just want to go up here and get a shot of the train pulling in. I'm going ahead. The music here is almost as obnoxious as her shrieking Dale's name. And I guess this is supposed to be his mother? Yes. Like That's how she's credited, as tourist's mother. Yeah, it's like... (laughs) clearly the same age well i mean not even that but it's just like clearly she doesn't want to be here and and she's I would not say that of most of these people though they find in the woods but but it's she's not even who dr- wants to go camping <laughs> but she's not even dressed like appropriate right i don't i don't think either of them are especially if he is as they say later a bird watcher no he wasn't the bird watcher oh, the he's bird a- watcher is the, uh, the other guy we saw get killed the oh, guy the... who got blobbed in the face. Okay, but you don't wear, like, bright pink shirt to go bird watching. Right. <laughs> Dale is suddenly strangled by his camera strap and thrown over the waterfall, and Ruth can be seen crawling and bleeding on the ground for a moment before we cut back to the hikers in a big field. Apparently they're looking for a cabin. Craig says they'll camp tonight and they'll reach the cabin tomorrow. We cut into town, and a police car turns right onto Center Street. The deputy parks and sprays some banaca in his mouth. The song we hear on the radio of this car is actually being sung by Tom Drury, who plays the film's maniac. In three-part harmony, only and you, only two. They just put his own music in there because they were like, we can't afford anything. Is anyone here in a band? In the station, everyone argues about city and county jurisdictions while the sheriff's secretary keeps them all out of his office because he's too busy to deal with their shit or do anything. We see him golfing in his office, and even for a sheriff, this guy is huge. (laughs) Do you guys recall the last time we saw someone golfing in their office? Was it White Lightning? Was it Caddyshack? (laughs) It was more recently than Caddyshack. I don't remember if it happened in White Lightning. It was in his office on a spaceship. Oh, uh, Outland? Outland. The deputy just barges in with another missing persons report, and the sheriff thinks it's their own fault for visiting nature in the first place. The sheriff asks around about the missing bird watcher. He goes to check the trail, and a screaming woman crashes into the sheriff on roller skates. Oh, hi. Ah. Hi there. Be careful. Okay, thanks a lot. She's roller skating on a dirt hiking trail. Yeah, this seems, and, and like downhill too. Yeah. It seems very dangerous. And we watch her continue skating out of sight, always on the verge of falling again. It's going to be one of those summers. You know, where lots of hikers go missing and girls roller skate on dirt. <laughs> the hikers stop to camp for the night and tell scary stories, but we never see the guy telling the story because that footage was ruined. So we just see a bunch of reaction shots of a <laughs> badly improvised ADR story. Yeah, uh, it's like much of the film's footage is ruined, yeah. if you ask me. <laughs> we just left it in there. I think Scream 1981 might have more editorial coverage than this movie does. 
We cut to a couple named Cherry and Dick making out in the back of a trailer with just married spray painted across the side of it. Do you guys recall the last time that we saw a pair of newlyweds with just married written on the outside of their van making out? Was it the one we just watched? Which one was that? Road Games. Road Games. Cherry says Dick's name so often that she makes it sound derogatory. (laughs) Oh, Dick. It's Dick. Yeah, just that my head isn't in the right place, that's all. But, uh, man, the interior of this van is very impressive. Yeah, it looks much bigger from the inside. It's a, it's a shagging wagon for sure. Yeah. She thinks she hears something outside and Dick promises to take care of whatever it is. Be careful, Dick! Be careful, Dick! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you have, you have the, the same disdain as yeah. you did for Abergail. <laughs> What a fucking stupid name. <laughs> Sorry to all our listeners named Abercale. <laughs> if we have any, just tune out. <laughs> tune out and walk out of the room. Don't even come back in this room. <laughs> she just keeps saying dick over and over again like she has Tourette's. Predictably, dick is killed. <laughs> and Cherry locks herself in the van for safety. Dick, dick, dick. <laughs> Stop. She grips the statue to use in self-defense, but suddenly the killer moves the blocks under the wheels for no reason. Yeah. You would assume that he's moving these blocks so that he can roll this van, but instead he just pushes it from the side and it rolls on its side down the hill. <laughs> the whole way down. And then bursts into flames. Yeah. And she's still alive inside. She's screaming the whole time, the whole way down. Still saying dick. No. Yeah, when it's on fire. <laughs> she should have been. Dick! Dick! <laughs> The hikers wake up and continue on their way to the cabin. The sheriff takes a ride in a super quiet helicopter, flying way too high above these hiking trails to see a missing person. We might as well head back. We're just wasting our time. Anything you say, it's your nickel. And then for some reason they can't use this helicopter later? Yeah. I don't understand. Well, and and he's looking for somebody and he says, I'll give him a couple of days to show up. A couple of days? Yeah. Like, I thought we were looking for a missing nah, person. I don't super care. Now we cut to a random lady on the hiking trail with a bunch of grocery bags, and she keeps leaving her child hanging from a branch like a bag of candy bars for the bears to eat. <laughs> she stands about 40 feet away oh, wait, painting. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. Do you go camping and leave a bag of candy bars tied to a when branch? When you go camping, you're supposed to hang stuff high in a tree where bears can't reach it. If you hang it this low, that means, come to me, bears. Eat my things. No, I, I was more... It was more questioning the fact yes, that I you bring, bring a bars. bag of candy bars. <laughs> what what is a bear gonna eat first, me or the bag of candy bars? Because that's the way the teddy bears have their pick. That'll come back. <laughs> she stands about forty feet away, painting at an easel. She's stabbed to death by a furry arm with a knife, and suddenly her child is missing from its bag swing. The hikers hike more and cross paths with another hiker. But they think it's like the killer at first because he's pretending to be a murderer for a second. And then he's like, I'm just a hiker. And he walks by. He's like, I hope I didn't scare anybody. <laughs> they set up camp again instead of continuing to the cabin like they said they were going to today. In the night, two nearby campers are killed somehow. One is, I think, stabbed in a sleeping bag on the ground. And the other sleeping bag is somehow hung from a tree for the killer to just hurl bricks at like it's a 
bloody pinata. The vast majority of the people that get killed in this film are introduced to us for all of about right. five yeah. seconds before they ki- they're killed. Like this woman and her baby, these guys. Like I I barely see them, and then they're killed. Yeah. But we see this, the sleeping bag at the end of the shot is hanging from the tree with blood dripping out of the holes at the bottom of it. The next morning, Peter hikes around collecting firewood and watching his friends splash around in the river. The pink shirt that Peter's wearing now is actually a promotional shirt for the director James Bryan's previous film, Boogie Vision. He notices a fisherman walking up the stream and waves to the man. But when we see the fisherman's POV, there's a dirty mountain man standing on a rock above Peter. Inexplicably, the man throws a bear trap on a chain all the way down to the fisherman at the river instead of the guy right underneath him. <laughs> he runs down to the fisherman and stabs him a few more times with a spear and then turns to growl at Peter with two beaded necklaces crisscrossing in front of his face for some reason. I guess they're just like, that's weird. That'll work. Peter runs, panicked, and the crazy man follows. Now we get a taste of a different score, which seems to me rather blatantly ripped off of the Goblin's famous Suspiria score. This is the score we'll hear for basically the rest of the movie, with a few minor goofy exceptions. Later we see Craig and Joni setting up a trap and baiting it with trail mix. Are they trying to catch Peter? What is this trap for? <laughs> I, it looks like it's just not to even to catch, but to squish small rodents. This rock wouldn't squish a squirrel. It's such a small rock. Before Craig is done baiting the trap, Joni yanks the string to drop the tiny rock onto Craig's hands, which he howls like it weighs more than three pounds, which it cannot possibly. That night, they camp out again in the same place, so we were supposed to be in a cabin two days ago. We're not doing that anymore. Given up on that plan. Peter is still being chased around by the killer. Peter's friends decide to start looking for him. Craig goes to wake up Joni so they can leave, but instead of waking her up, he zips her into her sleeping bag, completely closed, and then hangs her from a tree, repeatedly referring to her as a bag of bitch. <laughs> like a goddamn maniac. <laughs> you bag of bitch? You bag of bitch? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I got me a bag of bitch. <laughs> uh. Say uncle! Say it, bag of bitch! Say it! Say it, bag of bitch! Say it! Say uncle! She tears a hole in the sleeping bag through which she spots the crazy man running through the woods. Craig returns to tease her some more when the crazy man runs up and spears Craig to death. So now she's hung in this bag and her boyfriend is dead underneath her. Joni tears her way out of the sleeping bag and makes a run for it. And later, Ingrid finds the tattered sleeping bag and lots of Craig's blood. Luckily for her, the killer is already chasing Joni. Peter returns to the camp and finds it demolished. Ingrid pops out with a rock to clobber him before she recognizes her own boyfriend, and she grabs him for a hug. More goblin-esque music. Peter and Ingrid find a cabin, perhaps not THE cabin. Inside, it just looks like the shack from The Howling. Just random creepy toys and paper scraps slapped against the walls all over the place. Lots of hanging furs. Presumably, this is where the mountain man sleeps all day before his nocturnal murders. Yeah, it seems like he was collecting sleeping bags to use as insulation. Right. Peter lifts a small can, presumably looking for the killer underneath it, and somehow triggers an entire Rube Goldberg device with the ultimate purpose of lifting a dead body off the ground just to scare them, I guess. It's like a Halloween decoration in the middle of his shack. It's Craig's body, and they freak out. They both make a run for it through the trees. Another random fucking hiker hears the killer's walking stick jangling in a tree and then takes it for himself. 
Peter hears the man coming and jumps out with a sharpened branch to impale this random stranger who he mistook for the mountain man. Oh, oh no! I'm sorry! I'm sorry! I'm sorry! Ah, it's alright. Happens all the time. Could have happened to anybody. Suddenly, the killer is there with the high ground, hucking tiny spears at them, I think, or rocks. I don't know what he's throwing, but they're hitting Ingrid. Like, the first one hits her in the arm and the second one hits her in the head and she's bleeding a lot. The killer seems pleased by this outcome, even though they're able to run away. Peter cleans his murder weapon in the river instead of just sharpening a new branch that won't tie him to the murder of an innocent person. A fog rolls in, and Peter and Ingrid climb a nearby hill, and again, they camp for the night. The next morning, Peter realizes that their camp is right underneath the track for a ski lift or a gondola or something, but it's very near civilization, and they hike down the trail to the bottom of it. Which was against Craig's advice. Right. Don't go downhill. Mm. There's still Sorry. 20 minutes of this movie left. Right. And I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to the sheriff and deputy discussing Peter and Ingrid's testimony, and then we cut to the hikers recovering in the hospital. Peter argues with hospital staff that he needs to go back and save Joni, but they tell him that that's not his responsibility and the police are on the case. Later, Dr. Maggie, as we'll come to know her, tells the cops that she's worried Peter might be irrational, and then we cut to him already having left the hospital in search of Joni. It's like, if he's so irrational, keep an eye on him. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Peter, he didn't, like, replenish any fluids or electrolytes. Right. He's just like, you're just right as exhausted there. as you were two days ago. Yeah, maybe you had a power rate or something. I don't know. I also think this is in direct conflict to what this doctor is about to do. Right, yeah. Yeah, it makes no sense. <laughs> Joni finds a demolished cooler and licks a dirty plate inside because she's starving, I guess. How long has you, have you been <laughs> out in the woods? It's only been a couple days. <laughs> you were eating yesterday. She brings a big log with her as she approaches the killer's cabin. As she explores the space, she finds something moving in a box that freaks her out. We'll come back to what that is later. The killer appears and chases her into a corner, swiping his machete and eventually killing her. We get a quick shot of another random hiker, this time in a wheelchair, and you'll never guess what happens to this random hiker. The cops arrive at the scene and start searching the area, keeping an eye out for Peter, who escaped from the hospital, or just left. I don't know if escape is even yeah, the right word. Yeah, he, he discharged himself. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> They've been denied use of a helicopter because this is a federal case, even though they were approved for a helicopter, like, yesterday. And, and who, who denies... Because it's a federal case, it's like it's well, like then, then send a federal helicopter. Yeah, the more the more people die, the less help you yeah. get. Because now it's incompetence on your part. Kill me once, shame on you. <laughs> Kill me twice, shame on the county sheriff. The wheelchair hiker seems never to have used a wheelchair before and struggles with it under an aggressively bad cue in the score. <laughs> 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 The man tips his chair over and can't get back into it for the rest of the scene. The actor was laughing so hard at his own performance during the premiere that a woman supposedly said, That's not funny. What if that was you in the wheelchair? <laughs> 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 Which just caused him to laugh more. <laughs> the sheriff tells the entire search party to keep a bullet in the chamber and their safeties off because he doesn't want to lose any men today. Isn't that a pretty good way to lose some men? <laughs> yeah, you're going to lose a couple of men. You're going to get Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> the sheriff finds the killer's cabin and moves in to investigate but first he calls out to the building hello the cabin <laughs> <laughs> do you guys recall the last time we saw someone call out to a structure instead of a person expecting a response 
<laughs> Richard knows it. I I don't, but I can remember. Like I remember that happening. You don't remember Continental Divide? MacGyver saying, oh. "Hello, the ship." <laughs> Wait. <laughs> It doesn't. You can't say. Do you remember the last time we go all the way back to a MacGyver I episode? I sure can. That's not I've fair. Done it before it's not fair to me. Anyway, he says hello. The ship in MacGyver episode Ghost Ship about his encounters with Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest. The sheriff steps inside with his gun drawn and pushes through the hoarder mess of furs and trash that hang from the ceiling throughout. He finds an axe on the floor and tries to collect it when Joni's corpse falls out of a closet onto him. He drags her body through the cabin in a sleeping bag when the deputy appears in the doorway to help. Peter sees them unloading Joni and instead of announcing his presence, decides to hunt down the killer himself. At this point, I thought he was going to think that they were the killers, but right, yeah. I guess he prop Did he ever see them at the hospital? No, I don't or, think he did, but I, he can tell they're cops at least. Yeah, I'm uh, assuming I, they're I, just... I guess I wouldn't have assumed that the yeah. cops weren't the killers. But, but it looks like they're retrieving it from this shed that he's been in that he yeah. knows is the killers. As the cops cordon off the crime scene, the sheriff starts to search the rest of the nearby woods. The nurse, or maybe she's a cop, I don't know, she's acting with the cops a lot. But she brought Ingrid to the murder scene just as a goof. Because she thought it might be helpful in case they be bumped really, into Peter. It'd just be really fun to have her relive this trauma, like, just firsthand. Just wanted to see the blood. Um, well, I, I guess at least maybe to identify some of the bodies. Do that at the hospital. Why yeah, would you bring no, her no, out no. in harm's way? Like, she's still recovering. But, like, okay, so, uh, Peter, right? It's Peter? Yeah. So, Peter, she was like, we got to keep this guy here. We can't let him go back into the woods. That'd be terrible. Right. And then she's like, you know what we should do with this other girl who is actually Bring more, wounded girl more severely injured and traumatized. It'll, it'll lure Peter out. Right. Right. But she's all wrapped up in the sleeping bag and other blankets. Bait. <laughs> right, exactly. They literally have a machete from the murders laying in, at her feet. Yeah, they set it down on the ground in front of her and she's just staring at it for a while. We cut back to the wheelchair hiker for all of three seconds just to see the man decapitated, and it's suddenly nighttime. The nurse cop informs the sheriff that Ingrid disappeared, but doesn't mention that the machete also disappeared. The sheriff says police clock out at sunset so they'll be back in the morning to protect everybody. The entire investigation team all stay overnight outside the cabin, though. Ingrid finds a spot to sleep with a big machete and then passes out. The next day, we see the crazy man in a field, and Peter has another sharpened stick ready to go to kill the man. Peter stops to sharpen his weapon some more when he's suddenly attacked and shoved down a hill by crazy McMurder pants. Peter takes off his shirt and dresses... <laughs> <laughs> Peter takes off his shirt and dresses a bush as himself. <laughs> Fill this with sticks and twigs, make it look like a man. <laughs> While Ingrid comes running out with the machete. Amazingly, the shirt distraction works, and when the killer finds it, he spins around just in time to catch a spear in the chest. Who's <laughs> this sexy bush? <laughs> Peter, I wanted to have a moment where Ingrid shows up with a gun, and she doesn't know who to shoot, Peter or the bush. <laughs> it's like, why are you going to shoot either one of us? Peter and Ingrid hug and kiss while the killer removes the spear from his chest and then chases them down with her machete. Peter throws a stick at the man, knocking the killer to the ground, and then he and Ingrid take sticks and just stab the man to death over and over again with, like, not sharpened, just blunt branches. Yeah, just just, just <laughs> bloody pulping the guy. Yeah, but they're getting splashed with all kinds of blood. 
And then, and I thought for sure what was going to happen is like the police are just going to start opening fire. Yeah. Well, right as they're doing this, the police are arriving, and we get a quick shot of a little girl playing with an axe, suggesting that the killer may have simply adopted the child of the painter. Yeah, he's been carrying around this box the whole time, like friggin' <laughs> Demon <in> Slayer. <laughs> She's <laughs> been in this box the whole time. Oh, the that's, killer. That's why you were going to mention Demon yeah, Slayer. <laughs> it's like it's like he's got her hidden inside this box and just carries, just her, carries around. It around. And that's what scared Joni when she was in the house and she found a box in the corner that was moving. It freaked her out because there's a kid in there. But I wouldn't scream and back away. I'd be like, oh, my God, and pick it up and be but, like, where's your mama? we got to get you out of here. So the baby has an axe, and I feel like they're trying to imply that, that in, in the, the day that this g- killer has had this baby, he's given it an axe to play with, and it now wants to murder people and will grow up alone in the woods to kill people. Yeah, maybe it's his baby, though. Maybe he and that painter got it on. And he just lost custody, so he put a necklace on wrong and <laughs> took his baby back. No, I want my baby back. <laughs> uh, yes. The cops surround Peter and Ingrid at gunpoint, but then put away their weapons when they realize these, these are the two people who ended up in the hospital. Instead of being like, oh, you're the killers. Blam, blam, blam. Apparently, they're free to go despite the couple murders that they've committed here today. Yeah. Yeah. Peter has at least killed one innocent person. Yeah. Um, and you know, the excessive killing, okay, you can maybe justify, justify it, but they're just like, okay, well, bye. Yeah. <laughs> just, they, she's like still in the like blanket wrapped in shock because yeah. they kind of just wander off down a random hill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the sheriff and deputy barely remark on their exit. Sometimes makes you kind of wonder. Cute couple. As Peter and Ingrid march down the trail toward home, we dissolve to the child of the killer the adopted child of the killer, still playing with the axe beside a box on a hilltop. Over the credits, we're treated to an original (laughs) song by the film's composer sung to the tune of the teddy bear picnic. (laughs) Don't go out in the woods tonight. You probably will be thrilled. Don't go out in the woods tonight. You probably will be killed. There's a friendly beast who lurks about and likes to feast. You won't get out without being killed and chopped up in little pieces. Um, also, weird, I don't know why, but in the credits of the cast, only one actor gets their name in a square? So oh, it, that's that's special billing. Okay. Yeah. It's the, it's the scroll. Yeah. And it has the cast and the character name and the and the actor. Usually it's for opening credits, not for closing credits. Yeah. Angie, but I think they probably just didn't know and did it to be safe. Yeah. So Angie Brown had her name in a square. Well, good for Angie Brown. I don't even know if I'm going to mention her. <laughs> she even play an important character? Jo- Joanne. But she has no other credits, right? Uh, so it's like, please be in one movie. <laughs> This one. <laughs> this movie. Ah, fuck. <laughs> Could have been any other movie. No, she's got a couple movies. Does she? Yeah. So, yeah, that's Don't Go in the Woods or Don't Go in the Woods Alone. There's really nothing to this movie. It's a nothing movie. There's a lot of kills. Yeah. That's all it has going for it. The, the acting is all, because well, it's all ADR, the right. whole film. Yeah. And, but it also feels like all the ADR was, I've never, I've never seen the script or the film, like, Here's here's the list of dialogue. Just read it right now. Yeah. Like this is the first time I'm seeing the dialogue. I'm reading it, and that's it. That's the take. One take. Yep. No rehearsal. Just read what you see on the page, and that's what's going into the movie. Yeah. It's terrible. And the blood is all that like '70s Italian giallo blood. It's not. It's not blood. Blood. 
the, like you said, though, the kills are at least like, like they're nonsense, but they're like bear trap to the face. Okay. Random wheelchair guy decapitation. It's like, yeah, I don't even know what he got. Was that the machete? I, I yeah, don't I know. Um, Cause his weapon of choice seems to be a pole with a bunch of fur yeah. and some kind of like hooked claw knife but so many of the kills happen in these like insane like close-up inserts mm-hmm. that you can't tell what's happening yeah you just have to assume that that person's dead because the music got weird and then it stopped well and i thought for sure that it was some kind of supernatural force when it that bus got tipped down the road right the, like vw yeah bus, it, not... it makes him look huge yeah that, that he's able to do that but that was that was definitely like the highest production value kill of the whole movie is that bus rolling down the hill I feel like what the last time we saw a vehicle get destroyed so thoroughly was probably the Earthling mm. <laughs> when that motorhome went over the cliff. Um, but I mean, but like as far as like this crazy mountain man, like even if we were to assume he was sixty years old, right? That that means he was only up. He was born in the nineteen twenties. Yeah. Um, and, and somebody had to raise him. I don't know. It seems like uh, nobody did. Uh, he just appeared in the yeah. woods, <laughs> yeah, fully, was just fully grown born in the woods. Um, so e- even if we were to assume he was born in the twenties and raised until like nineteen thirty-five, it's like it's still relatively modern day world out there. Like yeah. this concept of of a mountain man having lived out there unknown. Yeah. For he all does that look time. like he's been looking for Beaver Valley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with Charlton Heston and Brian Keith. The Big Rock Candy Mountain. <laughs> I uh, I thought this guy looked just like the the mountain man meme of the guy nodding, who I just figured out is it's, not it's, Zach Galifianakis, no, but in fact Robert, Robert Redford. Redford. <laughs> yeah, yeah people confuse them a lot. <laughs> you need to see Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah, Jeremiah Johnson is really good. Uh, I would say he looks more like the, <laughs> the guy in True Grit that they encounter on the road. Uh in the in the Jeff Bridges True Grit, like I don't they, remember. Oh, they encounter those guys. I practice dent- dentistry in the nation. <laughs> Do either of you need medical attention? That's awesome. Felt like he was half uh, Tim the Enchanter, half repressed or uh, citizen <laughs> from Monty Python. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's uh, that's don't go in the woods. What are we doing for thumbs? I think there's oh, a thumbs down. down. It's down. And then what are we thinking, letterbox guys? Oh Richard, where do you have it? Um, I have it at one fifty seven out of one sixty, which puts it below nightmare, but above hardly working. So I have it below nightmare, <laughs> nice. uh, at one fifty seven. <laughs> and what's it above? It's above private lessons. Oh, okay, different one. Um, I have it a little higher than you guys. I have it at 133 just because it had some fun kills. Um, that puts it right under Hell Knight and just above Permanent Vacation. Sorry, Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate that movie so much? Because it's fucking boring. <laughs> it's fucking boring. <laughs> Jim Jarmusch make a boring movie? Hey, I like his other boring movies. <laughs> Jim, if you're listening, I like your films. Yeah, they're great. The director here was James Bryan. He plays the maniac in some of the scenes. He's also the voice of Dick for the ADR. (laughs) Dick. Before this, he directed Boogie Vision and direct-to-video title Lady Street Fighter. After this, he directs The Executioner 2, Hell Riders, and Revenge of Lady Street Fighter. The writer and story came from Garth Eliasson. 
He played the cop at the lake here. Uh, this was his only writing credit. We saw him last as Sleeping Yokel in Heartbeat last season. The music here came from H. Kingsley Thurber. Not a lot of composing credits, but a couple that are close to my heart are the SNES Mortal Kombat music. Oh. But more importantly, he composed the music for The Simpsons' Bart's Nightmare. Oh, Which wow. I catch myself singing on a no-joke weekly basis, at least. Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Oh, it's video game music. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't know what Bart's Nightmare was. I thought it was an episode. No, it's it a Super Nintendo game, and it's super fun. It's got, like, Bartzilla levels. It's got, mm-hmm. like, Indiana Jones levels. Yeah. It's, it's a very very difficult game yeah the whole thing is like a dream sequence and you're bart and you're trying to collect all your homework pages because they blew away from you in the middle oh, of the night oh you know what we had um one of those little like i don't even know what to call it like a tiny version of that yeah um, it might have been on one of the handheld yeah the little handheld like they just had one game per per unit like kind of thing. Oh, Was that like a tiger handheld or a mr game and watch yeah, like like it was like it would it, was, it was actually it was just that it was I just remembered it was a Simpsons game because yeah. that was the one that Jamie got for Christmas, yeah. not me, and and it you know it had like dedicated buttons for that game and I remember going to collect the the homework pages. Yeah, because you're running down the sidewalk and you got to yeah, jump yeah, on yeah. them. They're blowing around. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the game. Yep, he did all the music for that. The cinematographer here was Henry Zinman. He played the fisherman victim. He's not in much else. Nick Cleland played Peter. Not much else. Mary Gale Arts played Ingrid. She's a casting director, and her credits include Halloween 2, The Gate, Captain Ron, Hocus Pocus, Nightmare Before Christmas, Rushmore, Looney Tunes Back in Action, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. James P. Hayden played Craig. Not much else. David Barth played Deputy Benson. He's Donnie in Revenge of the Ninja. Larry Roop played the store owner. He played a supervisor in Harry's War earlier this season, and most recently he was Pete in Factotum. That's the Matt Dillon, Charles Bukowski story. Amy Martell played Artist's Child. Her parents are Robert and Linda Martell. Robert worked as an apprentice editor on James L. Conway titles Hangar 18 and The Boogans so far on the show, and Linda has mostly accounting credits, including on this film. But their baby played the baby in here. Tom Drury played the maniac for the shots where you can see his face. Uh, He's not in much else, but like I said, he sings the song on the radio in the deputy's patrol vehicle. Frank Millen played victim Dick. Frank is in Boogie Vision, and he's Susan's fiancé in Hell Riders. Cecilia Fannin played victim lady artist. That's the mother of the baby. She wrote two episodes of Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego. Ah, nice. Tom Ruff played victim man in tree. He was alien in Teen Alien. (laughs) John Williams, yes, that John Williams, Played police department cop number one. No, it's not that John Williams. He played launching officer in The Swarm and a militant in Superfly. Paul Michael Thorpe played a posse member. He was God Wu in Joe vs. the Volcano. He's a dancer in Death Becomes Her and Sister Act. And he was Goliath in Jury Duty. I don't remember who Goliath was in that. I don't. Eric Jenkins played Hiker Mistaken for Maniac. That's the guy that, that Peter just murdered with a stick. Right. He was the editor so far on Heartbeat and Altered States last season, and later he cuts Pandemonium, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Ewoks, The Battle for Endor, and many episodes each of Clueless, Malcolm in the Middle, Lizzie McGuire, and Psych. I think that's everything for Don't Go in the Woods. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintage video pod. 
Because this is our first episode of the month again, I wanted to remind our listeners about our Patreon campaign. We'll always be free, but if it's worth it to you, $5 patrons get a shout-out on the show, a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. Joining now unlocks 42 full-size 70s reviews and 40 minisodes. And for August of 1973, our $5 patrons are choosing between the following 16 titles. Everybody's eyes roll. I just leave? <laughs> American Graffiti, George Lucas's coming-of-age nostalgia fest about the night after the class of 62's high school graduation. It stars Richard Dreyfuss, Ron Howard, and Harrison Ford. Blackenstein, William A. Levy's exploitation horror film about a quadriplegic Vietnam vet who is granted a new body by a mad scientist. It stars John Hart, Ivory Stone, and Joe DeSue. Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Sam Peckinpah's action crime drama about an alcoholic pianist and his prostitute girlfriend traveling to Mexico to collect the bounty on a dead gigolo. It stars Warren Oates, Isela Vega, and Robert Weber. The Clones, Lamar Card and Paul Hunt's sci-fi conspiracy film about a man who uncovers a plot to clone scientists to control the weather. It stars Michael Green, Gregory Sierra, and Otis Young. Cops and Robbers, Aram Avakian's crime comedy from a Donald E. Westlake script about a pair of cops who intend to fund their own retirements by committing a string of robberies. It stars Cliff Gorman and Joseph Baloney. It's just spelled exactly like Baloney, so is that a name? Yes. Detroit 9000, Arthur Mark's action crime drama about a pair of detectives, one black, one white, assigned to investigate the recent robbery of a black politician's fundraiser. It stars Alex Rocco, Harry Rhodes, and Vanetta McGee. Dillinger. John Milius's action biopic on the criminal career of John Dillinger is stars in the lead Warren Oates as well as Ben Johnson and Michelle Phillips. Electroglide in Blue, James William Guercio's crime mystery film about a tiny motorcycle cop investigating a suicide that may in fact be a murder. It stars Robert Blake, Billy Greenbush, and Mitchell Ryan. Enter the Dragon, Robert Klaus's martial arts classic about a man posing as a combatant in a fighting tournament to gain access to an island fortress owned by an opium lord. It stars Bruce Lee, John Saxon, and Jim Kelly. Gordon's War, director Ozzie Davis's action film about a group of four Vietnam vets who go to war against the drug dealers and pimps ruining Harlem. It stars Paul Winfield, Carl Lee, and David Downing. Heavy Traffic, Ralph Bakshi's X-rated comedy drama about a cartoonist who finds inspiration for his work in the lives of his friends. It stars Joseph Kaufman, Beverly Hope Atkinson, and Frank DeCova. Jesus Christ Superstar, Norman Jewison's adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's biblical musical about the story of Christ's life. It stars Ted Nelly, Carly Anderson, and Yvonne Elliman. Lone Wolf and Cub, Baby Cart to Hades. The third of six installments of Kenji Misumi's Lone Wolf and Cub series about the travels of a shogun's executioner and his son, Daigoro. It stars Tamisaburo Wakayama and Go Kato. The Naked Ape. Donald Driver's half-live-action, half-animated comedic vignettes about the evolution of humankind as explained by a Natural History Museum tour guide. It stars Johnny Crawford, Victoria Principal, and Dennis Olivieri. The Neptune Factor, Daniel Petrie's sci-fi adventure film about a submarine sent to locate an underwater lab lost in an earthquake. It stars Ben Gazzara, Ernest Borgnine, and Yvette Mimieux, who we just saw in The Time Machine. Or, longtime listener Ian Graham each of which will be celebrating their 50th birthdays in the month of August. You want us to review it? If enough people vote, <laughs> we'll just talk about Ian for an episode. Okay.
Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing the Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie, which IMDb describes like so. Bugs Bunny hosts an award show featuring several classic Looney Tune shorts. We leave you now with a trailer for the Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie. Get ready for big fun. Prepare yourself, rabbit. I'm a coming over the wall. Big laughs as Bugs Bunny hits the big time in Academy Award winner Frizz Freeling's Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie. Bugs is back in Hollywood, and this time he's up to his ears in funny business in the looniest movie of them all. Watch for Frizz Freeling's Looney, Looney, Looney Bugs Bunny movie, starring Bugs and all his friends in some of Warner Brothers' greatest comedy classics, combined with all new action-packed antics on the big screen. They're coming to your neighborhood soon. Freeling's Looney, Looney, Looney Bugs Bunny Movie.